0: The School is Out podcast with Mike and Miles. We're all about asking questions and finding solutions for all things education. School is out. Now let's get started. Hey, Miles. Hey, Mike. How's it going? I'm doing really well. I'm excited because we have a first the School is Out podcast today. We're going to do our first ever interview.
1: It's kind of like you got your big boy bed for the first time, you know? You don't have sides on the rails or whatnot. And you're like, I could do this all by myself. And it's it kind of feels like that with me having a guest on, the, on our show. But um, hanging out right now with us is, is Wilma Dunkel. She was a longtime educator, German teacher at a high school level, uh, taught across the hall from me and has some very, very interesting Uh, things to share with us. And I'm super duper excited. So Wilma, how are you?
2: Hey, good. How are you guys doing?
1: Doing great. So Wilma, tell us a little bit about like your journey through education and where it all started. Maybe a little background information, kind of like if you were sitting down for a job interview, just uh, that first question.
2: So I guess it depends how far back you want to go, but uh, um, I guess that the abbreviated version the uh, shorter version is uh, I kind of accidentally went to college. I'd never planned to to do that and um, found German my very first semester. I was going to be a French major and uh, I found German my, my very first semester and uh, I guess just kind of fell in love. Uh, So it got me some opportunities for uh, studying abroad um, and, well, several more opportunities beyond that. But uh, it's something that changed my trajectory, I'd say. I ended up going back to school for uh, my teaching certification, and then I taught German for, for 15 years.
1: You didn't go to just any German school though, did you? I, I heard, I think it was Mr. Hardick when we, when you first came aboard was was mentioning something that you went to a, a German speaking school, did you didn't you?
2: I did a summer semester at Middlebury College where they have the immersion program where you you roll in and you sign a contract that you won't use anything but German the entire time you're there. Uh and it, it was seven weeks long. So, you know, if you want to listen to music, it's in German. If you want to read, it's in German. You know, you're you're essentially contracted to do that. And I was really looking to get a lot out of the program. So I did stick to it. You know, it was something that I, I made a goal to just exclusively stay in German, with the exception of, you know, calling my family now and then or whatever.
0: But... Nice. So one well, my... Could we, I'm sorry, Mike. Wilma, well, could we go back to one thing that you said? Uh, I think this is interesting. Uh, you taught at the secondary level, and we see a lot of times people do one of two things. They either want to become a teacher, so then they find something to teach, or they love a particular subject area, and then they find out that they would like to teach that. So you're saying really that you found German first and then went towards the education side of things?
2: I would say that's accurate, but I will say that I always kind of considered teaching. Um, it just wasn't like a a certain plan when I went into school.
1: Okay. So there, there's going to be a few people listening to this, and I want to get right to it. I want to I want to say like there was there's two things that stick out about you, Wilma, that I absolutely can't wait to get into. One. You, you were educated in an Amish school for a very long time. I would love to talk about that a little bit because Miles and I talked a little bit about that on a previous podcast on school design, on what works, what doesn't. The other thing is, is you ended up leaving teaching after a little while, and we'd eventually like to get into some of those things. So I guess if we were to start way back when in your upbringing, could you talk to us a little bit about the structure of the Amish school, like th- what went into that, because that has to be a part of your life experience that that pushed you a little bit into into where you are now.
2: No, absolutely. Um, I, I do have to, I guess, dial that back a hair. Um, I was actually only in school at the Amish school for two years, Uh so. Uh, Fun fact, uh, kindergarten is not a legal requirement in the Commonwealth, or it wasn't, I guess. I don't know for sure if it still isn't, but um, that's a loophole that the Amish usually use. So there's really no kindergarten. You just have first through eighth grade. So I spent um, first and second grade there. Um, So the general structure of the school itself uh, is, is very old school. I remember being in, it was one big room with a divider, and on one side of the divider, we had first through fourth grade, and on the other, fifth through eighth. Um, I remember things were typically very rote. Um, if you were expected to learn your multiplication tables, you're going to learn your multiplication tables. <laughs> and uh, you yeah, know, very structured, very rigid, as I guess you might anticipate. Um, given that it was an Amish school. The expectations were high and uh, you met them. Um, And so I did a lot of reflecting on how did that compare academically? And I really don't have any research to point to, but just anecdotally speaking, um, I had no trouble transitioning when I left the Amish school uh, to move on. And I guess I don't know, if my my background um, in, in elementary school was kind of choppy. Uh, I did the two years at the Amish school, and then I homeschooled for a couple of years. And then I went to a small uh, Mennonite school um, through seventh grade. And that's when I transitioned to uh, the... the the public school system. So in, I guess, you know, reflecting on those other experiences as well, um, having a very small class size, I know, made a big difference for me when I went to the, uh, the small school in fifth, sixth, and seventh grade. Um, And Again, it was pretty rigid, pretty structured. Uh, students just did what they needed to do because they knew if mom and dad had to be called, <laughs> uh, things would, would not work out well at home.
1: Interesting. Um, so would you say that uh, that your experience going from Amish school to homeschool to Mennonite school to public school has maybe kind of help you make decisions for your own kids to say, like, I I want to create this this varied environment for my own kids learning to give them a, a little bit of everything?
2: I think that certainly plays a role um, in the selections that we've made, you know, for our kids. I think it's important for me to say, I really appreciate and acknowledge the value of having a public school system where everyone has those opportunities to to grow and learn and give themselves opportunity for the future. But I also value the idea of being able to have a more varied background um, more different options for people to draw on, um, for students to draw on. And that's part of why I, I sent my own children to a smaller school where things are just not, um, <sighs> I guess not as stereotypical, not as typical. They have multi-age classrooms. Um, right now, this is kind of a new step for the school. They switched almost entirely or largely, I should say, to uh, a project-based learning uh, where it's very student-driven. Um, you know, my kid, for example, is obsessed with football, uh, and he decided he wanted to explore sports in- injuries, and uh, he did a, a pretty neat podcast on CTE um cuz again football obsession uh, he had to bring yeah. it back to that
1: <laughs> That's awesome. I guess the reason why I I dug into that a little bit was because I want our listeners to know that you in the in the classroom were not your typical teacher. You were you were something different. You were you were not the sage on the stage. You were really ingrained in the lives of the students that were there. Um, you were in it for the school and for the kids. You would you would coach kids. You would do sports at times. You were involved in all the functions of the school. Um, you had fun with the kids, and I think a, a lot of your background had to have gone into making that for yourself, and that was that kind of goes hand in hand with your teaching philosophy and and whatnot, things that, that you brought to the classroom.
2: Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I think, uh, one of the core principles I learned early on, and I don't know that I did this consciously, but I just figured out the value of building rapport with students. Um, and that's any profession, that's any, um, anything you do, you know, is is built on relationships with other people, whether it's colleagues, uh, administration, students. Um, And I think uh, that's, that's, uh, I I now see the value and now see how that developed, but I don't know that I, I was cognizant at the time.
1: Miles, I don't know if we've ever talked about that before.
0: No, I don't, I don't know. I've been thinking about some things that Wilma is talking about as she's talking, and Wilma, I can't help but kind of think as Mike had asked you about your prior experiences and how that influenced your teaching. And we know that you eventually made the decision to leave teaching in the public school. Um, were were some of your just were some of your thoughts and ultimately led to that decision related to what you thought? school should be or what you were trying to create in your classroom and frustrations with not being able to do some of those things?
2: I would say that certainly played a role. Um, People would ask me how I liked my job when I was teaching and my go-to response, and it was genuine, was when I was in the classroom doing what I thought I was hired to do, it was great. But the, and I re, I realized I had significant freedom as how, you know, how I taught things in the classroom, but I felt like the, the structure, the structure surrounding a lot of that was, was a challenge. Um, it was, I, I guess I didn't, uh, I didn't feel like I could do my own thing without obstacles. That's kind of vague, but I'll leave it at that.
0: No, and I I think that's okay. But I think it's very interesting because as we're talking to you, there are undoubtedly going to be people listening to this thinking, I feel the same way. I feel as though I would like to leave this profession or people thinking about going into teaching and thinking, can I make it work my own way the research is really clear on this if you're a teacher who is doing something that is different than what the system expects and you don't have certain supports or a certain culture in your school or your school district to support that then that term burnout does occur because it's very frustrating to feel like you're moving in one direction and have almost everyone around you moving in a different direction
2: no absolutely um and i made a conscious effort to to find other colleagues who 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 might swim up upstream with me (laughs) um and that was certainly helpful and uh it provided me with some of the uh I i guess the the support that i was looking for without it coming from the top.
1: Did you find any support from the top in in your in your journey through? I, I don't really want to call it. I got to be careful here. And I guess in in what was leading you to leave. Did you find any support, either positive or negative? Did it, did the did that come in a way that pushed you more, or in a way that said? we're here for you and understand, and we'll support you in this decision. What what did that kind of feel like or sound like?
2: I think in general, there was verbalized support, but when the rubber hit the road, they're stretched thin too. Um, yeah. and you know, like, I it, it just didn't feel like that, uh, that was a source, a strong source of support. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, As far as my decision to go, um, I guess I I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of pushback um, from anyone really. Well, from not from a whole ton, I should say. Uh, But, you know, there was the pushback came largely from you know colleagues that I'd really established relationships with and had been working with collaborating with um I'll say you know I I took some time I I I really appreciate professional development in its right form in a form that's right for the individual um and so I started digging with a colleague um on some things that I knew I wanted to improve in my classroom and uh so, you know, just a, a, this was probably a couple of years before I decided to leave, and we got into some really cool stuff. You know, it was super exciting to be able to work with her and, um, you know, hone our craft together. Um, and, you know, like, so it, seeing that, I felt like it was just getting to the point where I was getting good at teaching, you know, it was uh, really developing more. Um, but, I just felt burnt out all the time. Um, and not, I, I guess I don't know that I can point to one particular reason or issue or thing that, uh, did that, but it was just, um, you know, I, I told my husband it was like, uh, you know, no matter what time I get out of the house, I always felt like I should get out of the house earlier. You know, (laughs) I should be in, in the classroom trying to, you know, get more grading done, get more planning done. Um, and it was it was a struggle.
1: Yeah, I think that I think that what you're what you're talking about, like Miles said, is is going to be heard by people that may be feeling the exact same way. Um, and what you just mentioned is very, very powerful. I know when you and I spoke briefly last week, there was something that you said that really hit home with me. Um, where where you said, when I'm driving to work now the difference between then and now is that when i'm driving to work i can think about things for me versus anyone or someone else and i don't want i don't want anyone listening to this to think that that's a selfish thing that is that is very not selfish that's that's self-preservation i think where where you were coming from
2: no i i agree and you know i i think to some degree um, that may be my own character flaw because I have a really hard time shutting off work, um, shutting off you know that side um, when I'm you know in my personal time. Uh, but I think that's also pretty characteristic of the teaching profession.
0: But could we could we dig into that just a little bit more, Wilma? Because You know, as educators, that it's supposed to be a selfless profession, that it's it's supposed to be very self-sacrificing. But every human needs something coming back from whatever relationship that they're in. And if you're not getting a certain amount back from that relationship, then it becomes extremely draining. And I think that what educators are sometimes expected to do is to just give everything that they have, and it's difficult to find for individuals what is coming back to them. Some people are able to do that. Some people are just able to say, I'm going to sacrifice everything that I have for this job or for the students who I'm teaching, but as you're thinking about what ultimately led you to make that decision to leave, you may not have thought about this, but what do you think the school district or the system could have done to make an environment where you weren't burned out all the time, where you felt like you could continue to do what you did?
2: I think the expectations for teachers consistently rise. There's always more added to the your plate. And I think COVID is a, a perfect example of how uh, the expectations for teachers were high, but simultaneously the expectations for students seem to drop, which is a, a, one of my major frustrations when I had been there is I want... I wanted the best for my students. I wanted them to, you know, do the work in the classroom, not because I <laughs> I want to make them work. I want to keep them busy, but because I know that that was part of the formula for them to develop into strong people and contributing members of society. And I I think that was fundamentally speaking probably one of the key reasons I decided to leave is just not having that, uh, not having strong support for keeping students accountable um, and demanding the best, demanding sounds stronger than I mean it to, but requiring the best out of each student and what that looked like from each student was different. Um, You know, their best change as you well know changes from one kid to the next um but I that that standard uh was a I guess a complication
0: and uh Mike I think I think important to explore this a little bit Wilma I know you made the decision either at the tail end of covid or during covid or sometime in there but covid changed education for teachers in ways that I don't think has changed. And if we look at the number of people going into education, it's diminished a great deal. There are extreme shortages in teachers. And I think that people need to hear some of the things that that Wilma is saying, because as you've already said, she's someone that was doing her her job at a high level. And she decided that she could not do that anymore, that it it wasn't best for her. How are we to attract good, intelligent, capable young people to this profession or keep them in the profession if we're not able to to change some of the things that we do. It's It's a scary thought.
2: And a loaded loaded thought. Um, There's there's a lot um, that goes into attracting good quality candidates. Uh, but there's also a lot that goes into retaining, um, and I think one of the, the key components there, I guess, from my personal experience, uh, is you know again back to that relationships, you know, developing um, the kind of rapport with with colleagues who are in the same boat, who are um, who are striving to do their best. Um, And, you know, surrounding yourself with with people who are like minded, but at the end of the day, it's a lot. It's it's hard.
1: Yeah, I want to I want to dig in a little bit there, too, because there's things that are just glaring out at me kind of piecing together your experiences looking at your own experiences in a school like, you know, the difference between Amish school and public school, you said, one of the things that you put is really interesting, the discipline is incomparable. Um, when when that call goes home, it's, it's like, oh, now you know you're in it, but we find in public education now, it's not always that way. And from my perspective as a school principal, um, am I going to push for that punitive punishment style and expect that to work when in the background of of what i am and what i do i know it doesn't always work that works for kids who come from families who have high expectations of their children and when it fails the children feel like they've let down their families and there's it kind of cycles through that end of things but if you don't have that then that using those punitive forms of punishment i guess we're getting right into like discipline in, in a high school system if you don't have that then i guess you know, an after-school detention, a Saturday detention, an in-school suspension, an out-of-school suspension, when you cycle through all of those things and it doesn't necessarily change behavior or the climate of the school, does that then add to teacher frustration, that burnout that we talked about? Because if you have high expectations of your kids, but knowing that a punitive system of, of punishment per se isn't working, then you as a teacher focusing on building those relationships you, you probably want to see that all around within the school culture I assume or is it something that you expected more punitive measures be taken I'm not I just wanted to explore that a little bit
2: so given my background you might assume uh, that uh, that's the route I would take but no it, it obviously doesn't work you know to um focus on punishment and it, it, I think it then comes back to Developing those relationships, I know I keep reiterating, but um, it, it, you know, the, I had students who, um, yeah, I can think of a few examples of who uh, were constantly in the office, constantly uh, had, you know, they were being disciplined or something. But I figured out pretty quickly that uh, taking the time to learn to know them as a human being and what was you know triggering some of these issues was was really key in making that not be an issue in my classroom um, so i you know i think taking the punitive route is is not a good idea especially when kids don't have that structure and support at home it just doesn't seem to be effective um whereas you know taking the time to develop that that uh rapport can really give them an outlet for what they really might need to to improve behavior
0: in general and i don't want to keep going back to covid Wilma, but i know that was a hard time time for everybody it was a hard time for me personally during teaching and part of what you're saying was the hardest for me um i thrived off the interpersonal relationships that I had with my students. And then during COVID, all of a sudden, those people were just names on a computer screen somewhere, and they were no longer in front of me. And I could no longer have that same connection. And I felt so emotionally disjointed and drained during that time, because I still cared about all those names that were out there. And when I would send messages or make calls or put stuff Online for people to do, and there was nothing coming back. It was very, very difficult for me to deal with. And then even coming back after COVID, I felt as though somehow that that student view of school and teachers had changed just a little bit. And it I don't know if it was just in my own mind, but that was a really difficult thing to deal with. And I don't know that it ever returned, at least for me. And then I I left the classroom soon after that also, but just that interpersonal connection, I felt as though was just gone.
2: I 100% agree. Um, And I think that also speaks to the value of having good, strong teachers, not just material. You know, I can't just throw this at you and like process this. You know, go, you know, beep, bop, boop this on your your laptop. It, I think the value of having a, a good teacher to engage with um, is is critical in education.
1: Yeah, one of to support that idea, one of the things that that I find in my level of schooling where I where I work. K to six is there are kids that come to our school that have very high emotional needs. So where they're coming from, they, they don't always have that, that level of love in their home or, you know, that, that constant knowing that you're here for everything I might need. And so when they come to school, they're a little off kilter, but there's something that happens sometimes with kids that's, it's sad it's sweet it's a little bit of of everything it's kind of that umami of of feelings that comes comes across you and when a kid wraps you up because they need a hug it's a different kind of hug than a kid that just sees you and wants to hug because they're a hugger like i've had a hug from a kid that says i need your love and and i'm hugging you because of that because i need i need to be held as a human being and when you when you experience that it, it breaks your heart, but builds you up at the same time. And one of the things, the other things that I've been exploring a little bit is what is the difference between an elementary school and a high school or secondary school? And how do we bridge that? Because we are sending along, I think, in, in my observation, too many kids that still need that level of love into a high school, but only giving them like 40 minute shots of do this, do this, do this, now leave and go do homework when they still need that very warm embrace and knowing that you're here for me because you're that person, you're the only person.
0: And we're, we're talking about, we always talk about ideas, Mike and Wilma, I know you've left teaching, but as you're talking about this, there are models and I don't think it's a stretch that you couldn't do this at the high school level, at the middle school level, but you can definitely have a cohort of say 40 students in they only kind of traveled together, interacted with a small group of teachers. And then Wilma, what you're talking about, when you were doing those exciting projects with a few of your colleagues, you would have an opportunity to continue to do those exciting projects with a small group of students who instead of being responsible for a thousand kids in a high school, you're responsible for um, 40 or 80 or 120 students over the course of you know, a day, a week, or a year. And it becomes much more student-focused. And some of those things that you talked about with the small school settings for your children and for yourself could happen that way instead of getting lost in this big 1,000 or 2,000-person uh, factory.
2: This comes back to the human component.
1: Yeah. So when when you were in your classroom did you find yourself doing as much relationship building as you were academics or was there a little bit more of a tilt um the in one way or another
2: That's a good question. Oh. <laughs> uh I I don't know. I'm not sure how to answer that because I I, I Hold my students to a pretty high level of ac- academic expectations, but I I feel like I could only get there by viewing them and engaging them as human first, um, you know. So you know, taking the time to to build that rapport was foundation for creating those academic standards.
1: Do you see any of what you did in the classroom coming into your professional life now? Where you are now?
2: 100%. (laughs) I, (laughs) when I applied for the, the job I ended up taking, I decided on the resume, I should leave it exactly as it was despite being a totally different realm. But then I also realized like I needed to spell some of that out as far as like, how does this apply? To this totally different position, so I ended up throwing um, a section at the end of my resume that just spelled it out. Like, just this is, I, I learned a lot of skills, and gosh, uh, every teacher has, um, you know, the the skill set required to juggle a classroom is intense, um, and and so th- th- so much of that translates. Into any other profession, um, I shouldn't advertise too much. I'm not uh, trying to get people to leave the teaching profession, <laughs> but uh, I, I think you just uh, the. I guess I mean yeah, like I said, the the skills that that are required to um, be able to successfully teach um, apply in so many ways to. Well, life and uh, other jobs as well.
0: I think that you joked about that, Wilma, but and I don't want people to hear a, a blueprint for leaving teaching. But it, it's a really, it's a really real thing because you have a skill set that you're trained to do as a teacher. And I think a lot of times people in teaching feel then locked into that occupation. That even if they discover that they are burnout or that this might not be for them, or they'd like to explore something outside of education, they feel really pigeonholed into that role. And they feel as though their education and experiences only allow them to teach. You made that big jump from the classroom to the, to the world. And I think there's something really admirable about that, that you recognize this, this isn't good for me, but it probably wasn't gonna be good for your students either if you stayed there and you are able to to really successfully make that transition, which is a, I up, it's exciting and sad for me all at the same time.
2: Well, um, to be honest, for me too, um, I would say there was some period of, can I call it grief, you know, from walking away from a, a profession I built, you know, it was, or I'm sorry, a career I built, you know, it was not just... Walking away from a job, going to the next one, but I recognize that, you know, for the health of my family and me, um, I needed to make a change.
1: So, I, I it's interesting that you say that because I've talked to other teachers who have left the profession, and they don't necessarily. I guess it could also be where I where I met them in their journey um one other person that I talked to was was much more thunderous in in their their outlook on teaching and it was it was one of those things where the person said to me you know what if if you want to hear like I regret doing this or if you want to hear that if if you're having if you're wondering and and should I or should I not this person was like no I know I made the right decision I'm not looking back it's not what I thought it was when I got into it I was like wow there's there's a lot of emotion behind that. Um, whereas I think when we're talking with you, it's there's there's more emotion, but it's it's spread out in a different way. It's not just anger. It's not just abandonment, if you will. It it was a lot of. It seems to be a lot of changing with. I guess maybe where you where you were, maybe with the culture of education as a whole, a lot went into that. It seems
2: it was not an easy decision um but i would do it again
1: <laughs> yeah so i guess my my last question that that's going to really stump you is and you don't have to answer it right away but maybe we can you can have this in the back of your mind if you were to design like your perfect school right for teachers for kids for anybody for your kids, what would be a couple of the building blocks that might go into that perfect school? And again, that's that's tough because you there's a lot of things you might start thinking about. But like, what would be some some things? And it's going to lead you to think of, you know, what may or may not have been there that that you needed. But what would be those building blocks that that build that perfect school?
2: I've given this thought over the years. And I think one of the fundamental requirements for my perfect school would be a better blend of the art and the science of learning and teaching. I think we've gotten so focused on science where, you know, you need to be able to hit this level in math and you need to be able to do this in um, language arts and you need to show this on this state test. Um, It's become so focused on, okay, care of item A, item B, item C, um, and then I'm good to go, um, as opposed to fostering a um, a curiosity, a joy of learning, and I think that's where, I guess that's my comment, is blending the, the art and the science. Yes, you want students to be successful in being able to achieve a certain level of academics, but you also don't want them just to hit that and then walk away or be done. You know, they they need to be able to explore their interests. They need to be able to develop their, their plans for life, essentially, uh, by being able to drive um, a lot of what they choose to learn and to do into um, obviously we you know we have to have certain standards we have to have um, students who can accomplish a b and c but we need to approach it in a way that it's not that that is not the goal it is a goal and then um, be able to to let students push forward from there um, the other thing that <laughs> Probably won't be particularly well received, is I think we need to reintroduce some degree of subjectivity um, to let teachers as professionals make decisions that indicate or, or are able to indicate what a student is capable of and and uh um, anyway how that translates for that kid you know um, this you know th- there are students who I, I guess I'll take my own kids as an example um, my older son does perfectly fine in the classroom um, but he he works for everything he gets um, and so his level of academic achievement is probably going to be different from my younger son who's just like oh okay, I got that taken care of you know like he you know he he just picks things up quick um and so he needs to be pushed more. He needs different standards essentially um than my older son does. Um, and like I said, I know that's 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 hard but that's comes back to you know teachers as professionals being able to, um, contribute to that conversation um, to to make it specific at kid.
0: You said a lot of good things. Well, uh, while you were saying all of those things, I thought of a question for you. Uh, and we had a little bit before we started to record this about, and you mentioned this the the need for an individualized approach more of more of an individualized approach for students. But the the perfect school or a better school that you just described, if that existed, could you picture yourself being happy and teaching in that system? Or could you picture yourself going back to teaching? Or now that you've left, do you feel as though you've left that chapter has closed and and you've moved on?
2: So Give me the perfect school, and but uh, uh, at this point, like, um, if I just look at that as a, a would I go back? Would I not? Um, I think that chapter has closed.
1: That's very interesting to hear. I mean, wow! I'm, I'm, am, I'm am so glad that that we were able to to talk about all the things that we did. I'm. I don't know if. I wish I could capture all that, that we've shared and put it out on the podcast. I know that you've done some amazing things. I know you're still doing amazing things. Um, I'm just trying to think if if there's anything else that you wanted to share with us that that might be words of encouragement for principals, for school boards, for parents, for kids, for teachers, for anybody. Um, and again, it's it's not saying that that, you know, hey, if you don't, if you don't like teaching, don't look for help, just quit. But at the same time, it's, it's coming from a person who made that decision in their life. And you've, you've, you've gotten into some things that would have helped possibly, that maybe, maybe not, this was kind of the, the path that you knew you were, you were headed and whatever you want to call it. But, you know, any, any last things for, for people that would, that, that are struggling?
2: I think, ultimately, I would say that whether you're a teacher, you're an administrator, doesn't matter. I think, ultimately, the goal is the same. You're, you're on the same team, um, and and you really want, generally speaking, um, there's no question. You really want the same thing. For your students, for your district, for your school, across the board. Um, So I think it comes back to being, you know, taking the the time to to be a human um, and engage with the people who can provide that moral support. Well, and on a symbiotic level, you're going to engage with each other, be able to support each other. uh, Because I think without that. And, and without a conscious effort to work toward that, um, it, being in the profession becomes incredibly difficult. Um, I think the the there's a lot of value in being able to to uh, engage with other people again, back to the the human level, um, and I think that's that's the way. have to you have to engage in order to be able to push forward and not get too burnt
0: out
1: what do you think miles
0: well I I just would like to thank Wilma for joining us I think her perspective is unique but really uh, important as well so thank you Wilma for joining us and uh, the last thing Mike you and I have talked about this idea the heart of a teacher uh, Wilma, I think it's evident that you still possess the heart of a teacher, and even though that you're not working in a school, I'm sure that that same uh, heart and your ability to teach comes up wherever you are and whatever you're doing. So uh, I really thank you for joining us, and I think it's a definitely a worthwhile conversation.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, thanks, Wilma. We really appreciate it. So I wanted to just wrap up and and just kind of put thought onto what Wilma was saying. What a what a powerful interview. What an interesting perspective. Miles, um, what are your thoughts on that?
0: And I know Mike, we wanted to invite Wilma on because she is someone who we we worked with and we recognized as being a really strong teacher. And then she left the profession. And her her background is really interesting. Her perspective is interesting. I think that came out in the interview. For me, and we've talked about this, Mike, it's it's really difficult for me to listen to teachers talk about leaving teaching. And I've listened to different um, interviews with people. I've read literally hundreds of blog posts of teachers leaving the profession and they're always really painful for me to experience. I, I just think it's so sad. And you you can hear Wilma. She's she's someone who was talented, really strong educator. And she left teaching and she really has no regrets about that. And to me that's difficult to to handle because those are the kind of people that we need. Yeah. And
1: and you'll you'll remember on the last podcast, I said, I made a comment, you know where where there's there's at times people who are in those administrative roles. I'm not saying that this happened with her, but if there is any idea that that people are replaceable, I say no. No, not all people are replaceable. and And that's kind of what I was leading into was knowing that we were going to talk with Wilma. Wilma is one of those teachers that is not replaceable and so many others I I would I would say so many of the hundreds others that were in those blogs that you read that are teachers that I've talked with they're not replaceable they've they've met a place in their life where they just they they feel that they can't give more when they're being asked to or they they they're giving too much now and I think Wilma understood that and it does. It's it's very saddening. I could feel the emotion in her interview. And and it 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 caught me quite a bit too, because like I said, she she is an amazing teacher and still is. I mean, as a mom, you're your kid's first and best teacher. So um, and as she said, she's still taking those skills that she did in the classroom to her job now.
0: But just think think about one thing for a second, Mike. And she, you know, she said that when she decided to leave, there wasn't a whole lot of pushback against that from the school where she worked or the district and from a if you look at it from a systems view yeah I'm sure they have someone teaching Wilma's classes the same classes with a different teacher and whatever measure you want to look at for that school test scores or whatever they're probably pretty similar but the things that she brought, and she talked a little bit about this as far as relationships with students or trying to do things differently or change the way things were done, that can't be replaced. And I, I thought with someone once who used to joke and say, after, after you retire, three years later, no one around here will remember your name. And I always thought that was the most silly thing to say. Because, yeah, you know, four years later, the kids in the school wouldn't wouldn't know that a teacher taught there, but the the students that have a teacher remember them for a lifetime. And that's the kind of impact a, a teacher can have. And when you think about someone who does it and does it well leaving early and no longer being able to have that impact, it's just, it's sad. It's sad because,
1: I mean, and, and this is no... This is no knock on anybody, but it's sad. What if those last few years, you know, it was a vicious cycle of thinking that, you know, I'm not giving all to my students. Therefore, I think that I need to go because I'm not in a spot where I'm giving it all to my students. But when you are giving it all to your students, you know, like you just said, you might impact somebody to do the same profession. I remember having Wilma as my classroom teacher, and she was the best teacher I've ever had. And I want to do things like her. I want to help people the way she helped people. And that's one thing I want to throw out there. If Wilma listens to this podcast, imagine the hundreds of people that are going to go out there remembering you and and what you did for them. That in itself is is going to put a smile on your face because it can't not. Um, I mean, there's two people right here talking that that appreciated what she did. And, you know, I'm glad that she made the right decision for her. But we as a system need to keep these things in mind and keep those five words right at the tip of our tongue how can i help you how can i help you if you need help it's our duty to seek that out and provide that help no matter what it what it is even if it's even if it's to lighten the load i mean that's our job like you said we are we are relentless in that pursuit to
0: help right and it's not It's not about anything other than looking toward the future for me. And, you know, we talked, Mike, about how we continue to do what we do or what the future looks like for us and for education in general. What's the future of education look like if the view is, okay, that person left, we'll fill the job with someone else, we'll be just fine. You won't be just fine unless you continue to find ways to make teaching, to make education, to make what we do something that people genuinely desire to do. Not that I can just leave that go leave that job and go do another job and be happier. That's a really dangerous thing for what we do. So I hope that you know together and the system in general can can continue to find ways to change and to improve so we're able to attract great young people to the profession and keep the ones who we do have.
1: Right. Right. And that, that's a good that's a good way of saying it, because I, I you know, that's it, it brings to mind what I was thinking. I, I it's worth mentioning at the end of this that, you know, when, as a principal, as an administrator, you think what's the best way to impact to positively impact your students? Well, it's through your teachers. And and if you don't think that, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll sit down and we can discuss that. <laughs> What's the best way to get to your kids, either through relationships, through academics, through anything? It's through your teachers.
0: Right. And she said this a little bit, and it's true. You can focus on the curriculum all you want, or you can focus on the structure, or you can focus on a, a textbook or a technique or whatever. It's the people, and it's their emotional intelligence, it's their interpersonal skills, it's the model that they're able to provide for students that's ultimately most important in not just teaching someone German or any other individual skill, but teaching someone how to be a good person. And that's that's what we really, truly need to focus on.
1: Exactly. I, I'm going to leave it at that.
0: OK, Mike, I'm I'm excited to be able to share this podcast with people because I think it's really important to hear. And I think we've been able to talk a little bit about something we haven't talked a lot about before. And that's some of the difficulties in teaching and what happens when people decide that, that they're going to leave the profession.
1: Yeah. And you know, again, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it again. If you're having these thoughts and you you aren't sure how to approach these things or if you need help or guidance, reach out reach out to somebody. I mean, reach out to me, reach out to Miles, reach out to us. Um, if you need that level of support, or if you need any support at all, there are people, um, professionals profession, in, in your profession that can help with that. Please don't don't let it get to be too much.
0: And we know that there, these are very real things that probably everyone in education struggles with at some point, if not uh, on a regular basis, a regular basis. And we had just talked about this a little bit before, Mike, but one thing I think it's super important to focus on always is the, the difference that you're able to make in the lives of students. If you're not able to feel that and see it, then education becomes something that's so draining that maybe you can't continue. But if you're just able to focus on those small things and keep some of those individual students in mind who you have been able to help, it becomes something that it's almost impossible to leave good, bad, or indifferent.
1: Right. All right, Miles. Well, thank you again for a really awesome podcast. Okay. Thanks, Mike. All right.
0: This has been the School's Out podcast. Continue the conversation and explore past and future episodes at schoolisout.org.